Welcome to Episode 3 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about how to improve your speech. Whether you're a native or a non-native speaker of American English, we'll be exploring ways that you can speak better. What does that mean? In the first episode, we took a deep dive into what it means, questions you might ask yourself, and ways that one can change one's speech if one wants to, right? How to be a good speaker. In episode two, we talked about getting feedback, because as we all know, it's not just about being confident, it's also about how other people see us, their perception. And we talked about how to change things like talking too fast, for example. And now we're going to talk about hemming and hawing. We all do it, or I should say some of us do it more than others of us. And it's a lot about awareness. Many people do it and aren't aware they're doing it. Hemming and hawing is when you make these sort of sounds, these sounds that are unintentional vocal emissions, like hmm, ah, And one of the most interesting things to me as a coach for non-native speakers who are working on accent reduction is that when your first language is in English, your hesitation sounds may be different from those that we expect. In American English, people often say uh or um, but I find many of my clients will say something like or or something different. And all this tells us is that their first language, the vowels from that language, emanate from a different part of their mouth. So you may be using, for one thing, a different location, but also your lip movement can be different, different amounts of tension, and you may be using a certain place in your mouth as a default sound. However, there's something even more important when it comes to unintentional sounds. First of all, awareness. We've talked about that. You've got to know you're doing it. Many people aren't aware they're doing it. However, the other piece to this is that in order to make unintentional sounds, and this is so simple, so think for a moment, in order to make unintentional sounds, what has to be true? Your mouth has to be open. That's all there is to it. You just have to close your mouth. Now, that sounds really easy, right? Just close your mouth. But most of us, when we talk, leave our mouths open. We do. We have a gaping mouth open. We're pausing. Maybe we're even breathing. We talked in the last segment about how people don't breathe. Maybe we even are breathing, but we often keep our mouth open. And if you keep your mouth open, sounds can come out. Sounds that you maybe don't want to come out, thinking sounds. And in linguistics, we sometimes call this disfluency. And in the first segment, we talked about how fluency, of course, is what we all want. We want fluid, fluid fluid and fluent speech, but also that disfluency, and dis is a negative like disapproval or discontent, disfluency is when these unintentional sounds come out. But how do you avoid it? How do you close your mouth and not make those sounds? So the first thing is, as we talked about earlier, awareness. You have to know what you're doing. And this could also connect to feedback. If people are telling you that you're doing it, you want to get clear about why you do it. So do you do it all the time? Do you do it with friends and family and also when you public speak or when you're uncomfortable? Or do you just do it when you're uncomfortable? And often people just do it when they're uncomfortable. So if that's the case, you want to know what makes you uncomfortable. If you're looking for permission or approval, for example, that's often the reason that people say, okay, okay, right? Because they're wanting the other person to weigh in or agree. 
And what you need to do if that's the case, let's say you identify that that's your issue, when that happens, you need to notice that you're doing it. This is the mindful part where you may not be aware you're doing it. If you notice and intentionally close your mouth and just think, and what you'll probably come up with is another way to say it. So instead of saying, right, you could say, after pausing, is that something you would agree with? So you could say, this is my understanding, blah, blah, blah. And instead of going, right, you could say, you pause, close your mouth, and then say, is that also your understanding? Or what do you think about it? You come up with a question to get the approval you seek to mindfully come up with a question you could ask without saying those filler words, without just letting something pop out. That takes discipline and practice, but that's one example. One thing that I find interesting is in German and in Dutch, I'm told, there's an expression, or so, that's translated into English as or so. So if you're giving a list of things, like I enjoy hiking, biking, fishing, or so, it's kind of like etc. Although for at least for Americans, etc. is more of a written thing. Most people don't say etc. out loud a lot, and it's kind of awkward. So even though we have an expression for or so, meaning etc., it doesn't even fit all the time or it's not as useful. We don't have one tried and true phrase you can use, but you can say, I like hiking, biking, swimming, and things like that. But and things like that doesn't fit in every scenario. So if you were to change the scenario, change it up, you wouldn't necessarily be able to use things, but you might be able to say something else that would cause you to put or so at the end. Um, I don't want to go work, get distracted or so. So what would we say in in American English? I don't want to go work, overwork, get distracted, or anything like that. So the expression in English will change. The verbiage will change slightly depending on the scenario, whereas in German and Dutch, there's a phrase that works all the time. And often for our brains, if there's a catch-all phrase, a tried-and-true little expression that works all the time, we don't like to have to think about it too much. Kind of like saying, right, okay, those are automatic things that we do without having to think about the right question. It takes more effort, more brain power. So we just have to accept, yes, that's true. The first step to changing this, remember the order is important, you have to notice you're doing it. And every time you do it, you need to pause. When you pause, you close your mouth, you breathe, and then you do something different. You break the pattern. And in the case of making sounds, or in the case of asking a question, you like or so, or adding something on the end, you come up with what you'd prefer to say. What would you rather do? And if you couldn't come up with or something like that, come up with something else that you could say, I like to hike, I like to swim, and I like other activities. Try to finish the sentence, even if you're not sure how to do an equivalent of or so. The idea is to finish it with real words as opposed to adding the expression you're trying to stop saying or leaving it hanging or emitting random sounds. So that's the idea. If you make a game out of it, it's a whole lot easier. You don't have to take it to heart so much. I don't think there's anything wrong. You'll notice in my podcast, I say you know sometimes. I don't think saying that 
really is you know the wrong thing to do or a nasty thing to do or or a mistake something like that it's a pattern it's part of our language it's what we do but there is one thing and what i would caution you is if you're overusing something so if i were to say you know you know you know like 20 times or even 5 times or 10 times it would be too many and you need to know for yourself what too much or too many is and then qualify it. Say, whenever I give a talk, if I say you know more than twice, I've said it too many times. I'm going to change it. And if it's even a concern for you, you might practice not saying it at all. Because part of this is self-control. It's learning another way. You have options. You don't have to say it the same way. You could say something different. It's really empowering to know that you can change it. So often I hear from people in practice when they're trying to stop making these sounds that it's just really difficult to remember or they're not sure what to do different. So again, this concept of order, changing the pausing, the breathing, and the closing of the mouth. So if you're able to close your mouth and breathe and pause, close your mouth, breathe, and pause, and then start working on not using the expression, this hedging language, And noticing when you're using it and going, ah, I did it again, not to beat yourself up about it, but to notice the instance, how many times are you doing it? Is it the same expression or something different? And a combination of any of those techniques will help you to eradicate it completely over time. Now, anytime you hesitate, you might make a sound like, ah, I see what you mean, but that can actually be intentional. And one way to think of it is if you make a sound that communicates something to the other person without interrupting someone, you might go, ah, while they're talking or, mm, oh yeah, these kinds of things are intentional. I'm choosing to do it to agree with you, for example, without interrupting you. The other thing I like to say that can sometimes be used in public speaking is when you make sounds because they're emotional. And if you're working with a group of people, let's say you're leading an exercise class and everyone finishes a really hard exercise and you go, release, Woo! I'm so glad that's over. That actually adds value because you're, in a sense, giving them feedback and giving them your permission in a way to be feel relieved and to enjoy the moment and to connect to their deeper emotions. So making sounds that are deliberate because it serves your purpose is very different from an unintentional vocal emission. Sounds in general that aren't words are fine as long as you intend to say them. So I think those are just a few techniques that you can use if your goal is to quit hemming and hawing. Now, the other side of hemming and hawing isn't just little sounds that you make, but it could be going on and on and going off on a tangent. And this is something people complain a lot about. You said you were going to talk about this, and you talked about 10 other things. There's a couple things here. One is planning. If you're the kind of person who has a habit of going off on tangents, then you might need to plan a little better what you're going to say. I never recommend reading a script. I don't know, never, maybe on occasion there are people who really have to read a script. But in general, people know you're reading. You don't want to read a script. You want to understand and internalize your messaging to the point where you can communicate it. If grammar is your issue, if you're making a lot of grammatical mistakes, 
then you need to slow down just like you would for these unintentional vocal emissions. If you're making grammatical mistakes, you need to know which mistakes you're making and where. We'll talk more about this in another podcast. But the idea is that you slow down and you eradicate the problem, you stop doing it, and then you can speed up and go back to normal. So you never really have to read a script. You want a situation where you can talk freely without making sounds, like the unintentional sounds, and without also having challenges around going off topic or going off on a tangent. Because that can be weary for people if they feel like you're not staying on task, that you are not staying on point, that you aren't sticking with the program, that you're doing something completely different. And that can, over time, stand out as not being a leadership quality, and it can lead to negative things about you. But the other side of this is it can be cultural. And again, not to mention a specific culture, although at times I will notice certain cultures have a tendency to go off on tangents as part of what people naturally do, and it's considered okay. It may even be done in business. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. What I bring it back to is context. As long as people know the context, you're probably okay to stick with the subject. Where people tend to go off on tangents could be lack of self-control or awareness that they just do it. But it could also be that they want to establish context. They want people to know why they're talking about what they're talking about. So they give another example. Or they go off somewhere else that's unintended. Or maybe it doesn't feel unintended to them. Like they're okay going there and going off on this tangent. But the audience typically is not. The audience wants you to stay focused. Like, I've been talking about hemming and hawing the whole time. I haven't started talking about something completely different because now people don't expect that because I didn't say that's what I was going to talk about at the beginning of the podcast. I think it's important in terms of having a relationship with your listeners that you're not going to talk about something irrelevant or that they didn't sign up for. That's what's really important about sticking with the subject. If you catch yourself going off in another direction, It's heading back, catching, ending it, and then trying not to do it again, I suppose, is a good way to practice. However, I think the better thing, if you don't want to avoid it altogether, perhaps, is to jot down what you're going to cover. Like, just have talking points. So if I'm going to first mention A, and then mention B, and then mention C, and I look at that as I'm speaking, I'm going to be less likely to just come up with a random topic and go there. I'm going to be more likely to stick with the agenda. And so it's doing that pre-planning so that you have a sense of what you're going to talk about first, second, and third. Another tack that you might take is if you think of something off topic and before you talk about it you know that it's off topic you might address that and say this is another issue we can talk about another time you'll notice in my podcast I'll sometimes say this is something we'll talk about in another podcast because I do want to mention it as relevant or it might come up in a different area but I don't want to delve into it deeply And so you can take the ownership to say, hey, this is an important thing. We're not talking about it today. We'll do it at another time if you think it's something that's going to drive you off topic. That's certainly just another way to handle it, another strategy, so to speak, that you could use. And using these strategies can help you to stay on on topic. One of the things, though, that I think is really important is to get, again, get feedback from people so you know if this is something you're doing. You may not be aware you're doing it, and staying on topic can look different to different people. In fact, you can be too terse and too short and not give enough examples, and people can feel like they want you to expand more 
and talk more. Telling stories is a great way to public speak and to share with people so they feel like you really care about them and you're not just all business. So there are reasons to elaborate without going off topic. And this concept of context is about giving people enough information to know why you're telling them what you're telling them. For example, we're talking about hemming and hawing, but I'm giving you examples of other things. What I hope to do is connect it back to this concept of the hem and the haw. Like why is or so hemming and hawing? It is in the sense that it's not something we expect to hear in American English and it throws people off and sounds random. So anything that sounds random or off topic can be distracting and it also hurts your credibility as a speaker which is something you really never want to do. So the idea here is to stay on topic and to set context, just introduce things. And this is also where having some notes and talking points can be helpful. If you're going to segue from one topic to another, try to put it under a broader category. So for example, if I wanted to talk about more than hemming and hawing, if I wanted to pick some other topic to talk about today, like maybe changing your pitch or something, then I wouldn't start out by talking about hemming and hawing. I would say things you can do to improve your speech. And then I could include under that umbrella both hemming and hawing and the other item that I want to talk about. So you can do that. You can segue from one topic to another and say, okay, now let's talk about pitch control or now let's talk about something else. But to do that, you need to know that in the beginning. It's like an introduction to an essay or a speech. There's always an intro and then a body and then a conclusion. And what I find particularly for non-native speakers is they tend to be better writers. And that may be true for you. You may say, hey, writing, I have no problem. I know how to write an essay. Intro, body paragraphs. I know how to make topic sentences and how to have a summary and conclusion. I'm great at that. But when it comes to speaking, it's all different. And that just comes from practice and application. Although writing and speaking are different. We don't use words like hence and therefore much in speech, for example. And so you want to find a way to speak that is conversational and also adheres, though, to the expectations people have. Because when you're talking to an audience, you don't want to go off on a topic. And the best way to do that is to be really clear about a message that is brief and succinct. You know what your message is. Then if you have extra time, if you're cognizant, hey, I have an extra 10 minutes. Now I can give examples. If people have questions, I can do Q&A. You have some choices and you can do the full plan. You can do the intro, the entire body, and the conclusion. You don't have to tangent off. You can refer to certain items that you want to talk about at another time and then get right back to your topic. So there's a lot of ways around this and if you plan for it and you practice it and again record yourself. So you'll hear a lot of repetition in my podcast because there are some key points that I think need to be repeated. And in order to internalize them, you need to think about them and continually come back to them. And one of these is the best practice of recording yourself. So you record, you listen back, and you really have to have patience to do that and non-judgment. So it's not about finding out just what you did wrong. You might also discover you did some things very right. And I would take notes when you listen back to yourself. And it does a couple things. It keeps you objective, but it also keeps you listening. So when you listen back, listen to the whole thing from beginning to end, which can feel kind of cumbersome and time consuming if you have to do it a lot. And you don't have to do it with every speech you give or every verbal encounter you have, but it's really nice to hear the whole thing from beginning to end so that you can objectively look at how you sound 
and it probably won't happen the first time. You might have to do this many times to get there, but you want to be able to disconnect from the horror of hearing your own voice and start to think of it as a really useful tool for improvement. And once you get there, once you realize, hey, this is a tool I can use to improve, I can catch all the times that I hem and haw and use these unintentional vocal emissions, and I can consciously stop, close my mouth, and change it to something else. And once you get there, you're going to feel so empowered that you can change your voice and that you can make your speech sound the way you want it to sound, that it's really going to motivate you. And that's the key, because this is not going to be fun unless you make it fun. It doesn't have to be, it does have to be systematic, but it doesn't have to be drudgery. It doesn't have to be difficult. It just has to be something that you revisit with an intention of improvement. And you can do this. And I think we can all do this and we can all benefit from it. So hemming and hawing is something that we can avoid, that we can remedy, and that we can change. And as you go through these podcasts, you might look at which topics are of most interest to you and review it a second time and make a list of all the things you want to change. And then make sure that within about 48 hours, you actually try to change those things. Because there's something about the expediency of hearing a message and taking action that is going to help you to get a better result, which is what I want for you and for everyone, including myself, to improve speech, to make it better and better. You have to work at it. And that's what I'm trying to do in my podcast is work at making these educational, interesting, engaging, and useful to you. And I look forward to seeing you for our next episode when we'll explore yet another topic to improve your speech and make it better and better. 